listening to Blood on the Tracks, an exploration and celebration of film soundtracks and scores. Welcome back to Blood on the Tracks, an exploration and celebration of film soundtracks and scores. I'm your host, Lee Russell, and this is episode 57. I'd been looking for some new directions to go with this show. Every once in a while, I want to change it up a little bit. And I decided to look into pretty much untapped well, as far as what I've included on this show before. Uh, I have had some unused pieces of music for films uh, in some shows, but I've never had shows totally dedicated to that topic. So we're talking about today, basically, we're going to have a playlist of unused scores or rejected scores, however, which way you want to say it. And there is an amazing amount out there of just information about scores that were just dumped by the wayside that just weren't used. So much so that I've definitely got several shows I can do in the future on this topic. So uh, that made me pretty excited. I was like, oh, I've got some fresh new stuff to do. In future shows, I might do a compare and contrast thing where I have pieces, like little samples of the scores that were actually used for the film and put them alongside the full unused tracks that I'm showcasing in whatever show. Didn't do it this time because I was running short for time, but it did put a poll on the They Must Be Destroyed On Site Facebook page, and so far it seems like that idea is winning, that I should have both the uh, stuff that was used and then, of course, the stuff that was not used. So we'll see how that happens, how that sort of plays out. Um, Who knows? But yeah, I got a nice little playlist for you guys this time out. I'm going to do it in two parts, so I'm going to give you the full rundown of the first half of the show, and then we'll be back in the second half of the show after the little break. And uh, we'll do it all again. So, first one we're going to talk about, and this is one of the most famous ones, one of the most notorious ones, I guess. Uh, This is from 2001, A Space Odyssey from 1968. Uh, The original score was by a man named Alex North. And uh, Alex North, pretty famous composer during the Second World War. He served as a captain in the United States uh, Special Services Division. And there he was responsible for... Uh, self-entertainment programs in mental hospitals, Uh, and he also composed music for more than 26 documentaries for the War Department while in service. He was a big deal in the 50s and 60s as far as sort of creating the landscape of um, composition for film. A lot of his credits include things like A Streetcar Named Desire, Spartacus, Cleopatra, Viva Zapata, Uh, He's also incredibly famous, and most people might not know this. He wrote the original Unchained Melody, uh, the instrumental for Unchained Melody, for a 1955 film called Unchained. Of course, this song has been covered multiple times by multiple artists, most famously by the Righteous Brothers, with lyrics over it. But yeah, he was commissioned to do the score for 2001, Stanley Kubrick rejected the score, though, in favor of the film's temp tracks that uh, they were using as they were filming. And, of course, most of the stuff that was in the temp tracks was classical music. So you had, like, Johann Strauss's Blue Danube Waltz, 
Uh, you had a bunch of pieces from Grigori Leggetti from his uh, Atmospheres. So North got shut out of this, later used some of his pieces for 2001 in future films he scored, like Shanks and Dragon Slayer. Um, although the full score remained unheard until about 1993, I think, after North's death. I think he died in 91, if I'm not mistaken. Jerry Goldsmith re-recorded it in 1993 for Verisay Saraband Records. And in 2007, the original recordings finally popped up from Norse archives and were released by Intrada Records. Uh, we're going to look at The Foraging and The Dawn of Man. And these are the Jerry Goldsmith reproductions. Um, it's what I came across first, and it seemed to be the stuff that was the best quality that I could get my hands on. And so that's what I picked. And this stuff's good, but, you know, it's definitely noticeably a different tone set with the stuff that North was doing here compared to what the classical pieces kind of give uh, the finished product. And so I'd actually kind of say Kubrick probably made the right decision here, but the score is still exceptional, the stuff I've heard from it. Uh, moving on, we're going to go to the main titles from Ch from Chinatown from 1969. Uh, this was from uh, Philip Lambro. Um, he composed scores for other films, not a lot. Uh, he composed stuff for Crypt of the Living Dead, Murph the Surf, and Blood Voyage, uh, notably. Um, his scores were replaced by, or his score, excuse me, for Chinatown was replaced by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, but this was done by the studio. This wasn't Polanski who did this. Lambro managed to sort of retain the rights to eventually release his full score himself. And it has been released as an album called Los Angeles 1937. Um, he made a deal with Paramount in 74 uh, when the studio's marketing department needed music to score the film's trailer. And Jerry Goldsmith's stuff wasn't exploitable enough, apparently, for the trailer. <laughs> it was good enough for the film, but it wasn't good enough for the trailer. Uh, so Philip, allowing some of his music from his score to actually be in the trailer, gave him the rights to take his music and use it for whatever the fuck he wanted afterwards. And so, the only, of course, the only condition was they couldn't say anything about Chinatown on the album. So that's why it's called Los Angeles 1937 instead of Chinatown. And um, <laughs> Philip Lambro was apparently quoted in saying what Goldsmith wrote uh, for Chinatown was television music. Hey, it's Chinatown. Well, you know, what are you going to do? Then we're going to move on to another famous one here. We're knocking out all the hits this time. Uh, we're going to have a sweet and rock ballad from The Exorcist. This is Lalo Schifrin. William Fridkin wanted small-scale chamber music when he got uh, Schifrin on board to do this stuff, but Schifrin gave him a loud, brass-heavy score that's very bombastic. Uh, and much like with Kubrick in 2001, Fridkin used Temp Tracks instead. Uh, stuff from Christoph uh, Penderecki, uh, Mike Oldfield's Tubler Bells, uh, even Quiet Village from Les Baxter is snuggled in there. And yeah, again, another one of these ones where it's like the, the Lalo Schifrin score is great, but eh, The Exorcist would be a totally different movie. Not that I'm a big fan of The Exorcist, but the score is exceptional and works with the movie that is presented. So, uh, again, you gotta, I kind of got, gotta go with Friedkin here. Gotta go with the director. Uh, 
they're making the right choices. That won't always be the case, of course. And that will end our first half of the show, and we'll be back after the break with the second half.
mergo sacramentum venere mortuarii et antiquum documentum novo Supplementum sensum defectui.
I'm a humble court bailiff in a courtroom designed to bring musical justice to all. Each week, we have a podcast with a judge and a jury, and we determine whether a song is guilty, not guilty, or not guilty by reasons of insanity. You know, something like, uh, or maybe it's a cover of Tom Petty. You can find us wherever you find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. Just look for songs on trial, please. Okay, I love you. Make good choices. Second half of the show now, and we're going to look at another big one. This is Apocalypse Now from 1979. Francis Ford Coppola, of course. And the original composer for this was one David Shire. And he had worked with Coppola, of course, before this on The Conversation. Very successful collaboration there. Um, but they had a falling out. So basically what was happening is the production for 
Apocalypse Now notoriously was stalled. Uh, there was a lot of problems going on. And while this was sort of happening, Shire was looking for other work while he was, you know, waiting for the production to continue. So he took another job. This didn't sit well with Coppola, and Coppola fired him over the phone. He gave the job of composition for the score to his father, Carmine, and the rest was history there. I will argue that most people don't really remember Apocalypse Now for its score so much as they do its needle drops. So, you know, stuff like uh, The End from The Doors and Ride of the Valkyries from Wagner. That's the stuff that's embedded in people's minds. And it's a shame because this score by David Shire is excellent. This is one of the cases where I think the director was wrong. Uh, there was some like personal friction there because Shire was married to Coppola's sister and they were about to go through a divorce. I guess they're friends now because once Shire finally made up with Coppola, he got the rights to like release his music and shit like that. So uh, I guess everything's fine now. But um, back in the day, there was some tension. And it's, it's a shame because, like I said, the score is great. It is all electronic, so it's all synths. This is what Coppola had wanted, and this is, you know, a departure for Shire, and it just shows his range and his brilliance because Coppola wanted a full orchestral score but done through uh, synthesizers. So that's what Shire did, even though he was not super familiar with working with those and programming them and the like. But he made this really cold orchestral score, and it's a very interesting one, and I think it kind of works well with the film. Out of all the ones that I'm going to feature on this show, this is the one I'd recommend people seek out, especially if you like sort of synth scores and stuff like that, your electronic scores. This shit is really good. We're going to look at Into the Jungle, Delta and Orange Light from that score. Moving on, we're going to look at one. This is uh, a movie I previously featured a piece of score from this score that was not used. And then we're, we're talking about Wolfen from 1981. Craig Safan, uh, he was brought on to do the score originally, and it was scrapped, replaced by James Horner. Basically, the original director, Michael Wadley, was replaced by Orion Pictures when he went over budget and shot too much footage and was trying to take the movie in a totally different direction than what they wanted. So uh, by the time they got around to cutting tons of footage out, retooling footage, and just reshooting footage under the new director, they felt Safan's score was no longer fit for the direction the film was going in. And I think this is actually probably a pretty good decision given what we get. The James Horner score is pretty good. It's a little bit like Safan's score, but it's a little bit more mature as well. But still, Safan does a really good job here. And it's kind of eerie, so we're going to be looking at the morgue from Wolfen. Uh, moving on, the uh, main titles from Something Wicked This Way Comes, 1983. This is uh, George Delarue. Delarue. There we go. I'm probably fucking that up. Whatever. Uh, but famous French composer... Uh, composed over 250 scores for both film and TV. Known for such films as The Unvanquished, A Man for All Seasons, The Conformist, The Day of the Jackal, Agnes of God, Platoon, Joe vs. the Volcano, and even Slacker in 1990. And apparently this is kind of just the exact same thing as Wolfen, really. Uh, another one of these things where the production problems caused a total overhaul of the film, and the 
picture as it was after this sort of retooling no longer fit the score that was written for it originally. And yet again, James Horner was brought in to do the new score. And so it's... uh, it's funny how James Horner and guys like him and Jerry Goldsmith and, and the likes, they keep popping up on these lists uh, for different reasons, you know? I've heard both scores, and they are markedly different, but they're definitely written for different films. The original versions of Something Wicked This Way Comes is much more meditative, a bit slower to build, and so De La Rue's score uh, fits that a lot better, uh, whereas... The something wicked this this way comes that we got eventually was a bit faster paced, a bit more compressed, and James Horner's score reflects that pretty well. So uh, they're both perfect scores for the movie they were written for. And we're going to end off this episode with Hellraiser from 1987, and this score was written by Coil, which were an English experimental music group formed in 1982. They were initially envisioned as a solo project by musician John Balance, but Coyle eventually evolved into like a full-time project with the addition of his partner, Peter Christofferson, and uh, they brought on other people here and there throughout the years. I think it was Balance himself who died, and that kind of ended everything in 2005, but uh, they were friends with uh, Clive Barker, so Clive Barker wanted to use them, but the uh, I guess the producers overruled it. They felt coiled and fit the tone they were looking for. It was maybe a bit too weird, a bit too disturbing. It seems to be the consensus here. But it was released as an album. The unreleased themes for Hellraiser is what it was called, also subtitled The Consequences of Raising Hell. And it was like the fourth album that Coil released in 1987. So they were pretty busy. (laughs) Uh, And I guess it just wasn't considered commercial enough, which sometimes that just sounds like it's an excuse for the producers to get their chosen one in on doing the project not that I'm trying to shit on Christopher Young who eventually did the actual score because his score is brilliant but uh, there you go it's going to be Hellraiser theme the Hellbound Heart and Box theme from the unused score for Hellraiser from Coil and that's going to end this show I hope you guys enjoyed this This, like I said this is a topic I'm going to go back to here and there It's something I can always rely on because, like I said, there's a ton of stuff out there that uh, I'm just, I'm not even at the tip of the iceberg. I'm like floating above the tip of the iceberg at this point. Haven't landed on it yet. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Cheers. And we'll be back in a month's time.
listening to Blood on the Tracks. For further episodes, please go to tmbpos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. 